morning, everybody. We are going to be in Joshua 3 again, uh, specifically one verse, so that makes it really easy. Um, you can turn to Joshua 3 if you like, or we'll make sure it's up on the screen as well. But we're continuing to look at, if you recall two weeks ago, we looked at God telling Joshua to send the leaders out, prepare the people. They're about to move across the river. They're about to move into the promised land. And we looked at that Ark of the Covenant and how Jesus perfected everything that the Ark represented. And so we're going to look at the very next kind of idea in Joshua 3 uh, after that. But before we do, please join me in prayer. Lord, you are holy. You are holy, 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 the perfect essence of holiness. And that's what you deserve from us. And so, Lord, we just ask that this time would be set apart for you. That whatever is distracting us, whatever is weighing on us, whatever is taking our focus away from you, that we would lay it aside and offer ourselves entirely to you. We thank you for your word. We thank you that you've given it to us so that we may know more of you and more of Jesus. And we ask that this time would be a continuation of our worship as we dive into your word, Lord. Lead it. We want this to be by you. We need this to be by you. We need this to be through your power, through the Spirit. And so we just, we trust you with this time, God. We ask that you would use it to glorify your name and also to build up this body. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I want to remind us, we're, we're reading through Joshua, and you know we've got the themes, and I want to remind us of the themes You've got God goes before us and fights for us. He's faithful to fill his promises. He positions people deliberately and equips them as part of his plan. And then this week, we're really looking at that fourth theme, that our lives are meant to be. If, if the first couple themes are, this is who Yahweh is. Remember, Joshua uses the word Yahweh. If this is who Yahweh is, then it's quite simple. Our lives are meant to be in response to that. And that's what we're going to be looking at this week. So I'm going, to, I'm going to read the verses that we looked at two weeks ago, but then we're really going to focus on verse 5. Starting in verse 1, Joshua rose early in the morning, and they set out from Shittim. And they came to the Jordan, he and all the people of Israel, and lodged there before they passed over. At the end of three days, the officers went through the camp and commanded the people, As soon as you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God being carried by the Levitical priests, then you shall set out from your place and follow it. Yet there shall be a distance between you and it, about 2,000 cubits in length. Do not come near it in order that you may know the way you shall go, for you have not passed this way before. And then you come to verse 5. Verse 5, Then Joshua said to the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. And that's what I want to look at this week. I want to look at, if we're looking at this theme of our lives are meant to be in response to the person and the promise, the nature of Yahweh, what does this mean then, right? Because that's a word that's used in church. It's used in Christian circles, consecration. Consecrate yourselves, be consecrated. But I think a lot of times we make this assumption that we all know the definitions perfectly and can operate from the same place of understanding. And this is a word that's so important that it, it, it's absolutely, there's a conviction that we need to make the time or take the time to make sure we understand consecration. Because this is really at the heart of how the church, how the individual Christian is called to respond to Yahweh. So what is consecration? Consecrate yourself. When it says consecrate yourselves, what does this word mean? And quite simply, to consecrate means to set apart. But it's not just to set apart from. If you remember all the times we've talked about repentance in sermons, what do we emphasize about repentance? That repentance is not just turning from sin, 
It's also turning to the Lord. It's the same thing with consecration. Consecration is not just setting apart from something, but then it's setting apart from and setting apart to. And so to consecrate is to set something or someone apart from what is common, what is profane. Profane is one of the fancier theological words you'll use to hear talking about this. Set apart from the profane, set apart from the common, really set apart from sin, set apart from everything that is not God. And then it's not just a setting apart from, it's a setting apart to. If I'm saying, okay, this is now set apart from the common, it is now set aside, set apart for the holy, for God. And you see this in a couple key passages that God talks about this to the people. Exodus 19, 10 through 11. The Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow, and let them wash their garments and be ready for the third day. For on the third day the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all his people. He said, consecrate them today and tomorrow in preparation for the third day. This is not, oh, we spent five minutes and we're done. This is not a quick, don't really think about it, don't put much effort into it. This was a two-day process to get ready for the people to engage with the Lord. Leviticus 11, 44 through 45. For I am the Lord God, or I am the Lord your God. Consecrate yourselves, therefore, and be holy, for I am holy. Remember, what have we looked at in Scripture? When you see the word, therefore... It's telling you that whatever thought, whatever thought is in this sentence, in this idea, hinges on the preceding thought. So when you see therefore, you've got to immediately back up and make sure you understand the preceding thought. And so God says, I am the Lord your God. Because of this, in response to this, therefore, because I am the Lord your God, consecrate yourselves. And then he goes on to explain what that means. He says, consecrate yourselves, therefore, and be holy, for I am holy. You shall not defile yourselves with any swarming thing that crawls on the ground. For I am the Lord who brought you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God. You shall therefore be holy, for I am holy. And what he's doing with this, and if you continue to read through Leviticus and you read the laws about shellfish, or you read the laws about where you camp and where you wash your clothes and how you wash your clothes and all this stuff, what he's doing, God is giving the people very tangible external reminders of this absolute essential internal reality, right? Externally separate yourselves from the behavior and the customs of the people around you to remind you that internally you are to be set apart from the common. You are to be set apart from the secular. You are to be set apart from what exists around you in the culture around you and set apart for me. God uses these external reminders of the internal call to be holy. And this is what God says is consecration. He says, consecrate yourselves, set yourselves apart, and be holy. Holiness is the natural next step of consecration. Okay? So now we wind up at a word that's really used in, in church circles and in Christian circles. Holiness, right? Who, who for the first time has heard the word holy right now? Nobody. How many of you, be honest, how many of you think you could really give a solid biblical definition of holiness. If, if you were talking to somebody who knows nothing about church, nothing about God, and they were like, look, I keep hearing this thing that God is holy. What, what's that mean? I think we could hit some of the ideas. But again, this is a concept that is so integral to the Christian life that we need to make sure we understand it. Because if God says, be holy, 
then I want to make sure I understand what it is to be holy. So first God says, consecrate yourselves. The byproduct of consecrating yourselves is be holy. Okay, so then what is holiness? Holiness is simple sacredness. It is the essence of God. It is his nature. It is who he is. In Revelation 4, it says he is holy, 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 which was a uh, verbal way that that culture used to say that something is the perfect completeness of this concept. So holiness is God's sacredness. And what that means is, it is his sacredness set apart from everything that is not of God. So you have the secular, you have the common, you have the profane, where self is king, self is God, where material gain is God, where happiness is God, right? The greatest thing, like, just make sure you're happy. If someone doesn't make you happy, be done with them. If something doesn't, like, where you're happy. So you have all these things that the common world says is chief among them. And then you have God's holiness, his sacredness. And this is what we are called to be. When we are called to be consecrated, we are called to be sacred. We are called to be set apart for God. So then the question is, okay, well then what can be consecrated? This idea of be consecrated. God says be consecrated. So we know that people can be consecrated. But the key thing with holiness, what I want to emphasize this morning, what I want you, hopefully one of your takeaways this morning will be is that holiness is not reserved for one aspect of our lives. Because holiness does not describe just one aspect of God. It's not like this part of God is holy and this part of God is not. The entirety of God is holy. The entirety of God is sacred. And what we'll see in Scripture is that the entirety of our lives are called to be the same. Look at 1 Chronicles 23, 13. It says, The sons of Amram, Aaron and Moses, Aaron was set apart to dedicate the most holy things, that he and his sons forever should make offerings before the Lord and minister to him and pronounce blessings in his name forever. We saw in Joshua 3, people. God calls people, individual people, and collective people. God calls individually Aaron and his sons to be set apart for the holy. And then in Joshua 3, God calls the collective body of Israel to be set apart for the holy. So people are meant to be set apart from what is common for the service and worship of God. Exodus 3, 1 through 6, specifically verse 5, Then God said, Do not come near, take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. A physical space we see in Scripture, and we'll look at another passage, Leviticus 16, 2, And the Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron your brother not to come at any time into the holy place inside the veil before the mercy seat that is on the ark, so that he may not die. We see that places can be set apart from the common for the service and worship of God. Places are called to be made holy in the lives of God's people. That this is a space that is not dedicated to common things. This is not a space that is just a casual, physical area meant to be used for the everyday mundane. This is a holy space dedicated to the Lord. We see this in the lives of Israel. Leviticus 23, 1-3, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, These are the appointed feasts of the Lord. So now we're talking about time and events. These are the appointed feasts of the Lord that you shall proclaim as holy 
convocations. They are my appointed feasts. Six days shall work be done, but on the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, a holy convocation. You shall do no work. It is a Sabbath to the Lord. Once again, consecrate holiness, set apart from the Sabbath. Six days of the week are dedicated to the common mundane work. The Sabbath is set apart from that. And it's set aside to the Lord. It is a Sabbath to the Lord, a holy convocation. These feasts are holy events. They are not your common mealtimes. They are not your common celebrations. They are not your common gatherings. This is a feast that is set aside from the mundane to the worship and the service of the Lord. This is a holy event. So when you look at Scripture and you look at this idea of be consecrated, okay, what's it mean to be consecrated? It means to be set aside, set apart for the holy. What is the holy? The essence of God, the worship of God, the service of God. Okay, well then what can be consecrated? What can be in my life? What can be set apart for the Lord? Well, Scripture says that I as an individual can and should be set apart for the Lord. It says that space, physical space, in my life can and should be set aside for the worship of the Lord. It says that time and events can and should be set aside for the worship of the Lord. The idea that we see in Scripture is God gives all these commands of what is to be consecrated and set aside from holy. What we see is that God does not expect partial holiness from us. God does not call us to partial holiness. He calls us to a completeness of setting aside for Him and His worship and His service. But where did all of this begin? Where does, as we continue to consider this idea of holiness, where did it start? What was the key starting point in all of those passages? Set aside Aaron, set aside this physical ground, set aside the most holy place, set aside these feasts. Every one of those began with God. And see, that's the key to all of this. That if our concept of holiness if our awareness of holiness, if our striving for holiness, if it doesn't begin from a place of complete worship and recognition that holiness begins with God, that, holiness, that God is holiness, if we're missing that aspect, if we have downplayed and diminished the holiness of God, then we've missed it all entirely. We've missed the foundation of holiness if there's not a recognition and a celebration and a worship and a declaration that holiness is it's God. This is why we do these things. This is why you set apart this ground, not because of some arbitrary reason, but because God is there and calls us to do that. You set aside these feasts, not because of just how I felt like it, but because this is a feast for the Lord. This is a response to what he has said. Holiness must begin with the Lord in our lives. Exodus 15, 11, Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonder? You can't think of holiness without starting with God. Because no one is holy like God. Nothing is majestic in holiness like God is. So if you start, if you're trying to wrap your mind around holiness, if you're trying to pursue holiness and you're not beginning with Yahweh, you've missed the foundation of the entire house, right? How many of you would buy a house if I told you like, oh, look at the top two stories, they're great. Well, what's the foundation? Six popsicle sticks. I'm not moving into that. 
that house is going to collapse. So if I'm trying to build an understanding of holiness and I'm not beginning with the person of Yahweh, then I'm failing entirely and I'm going to miss the boat. I'm going to miss the point of holiness. So we look at this idea that God, no one is like Him, majestic in holiness. The holiness He calls His people to begins with a proper recognition of Him. Uh, one of the commentaries I was using, I thought this was so brilliantly phrased. One of the commentaries I was using this week said, Something or someone is made holy when the Almighty, who is Himself set apart from all creation, sets it apart for a special use or purpose. Uh, just a fantastic definition of holiness. That it begins with God. It's not, okay, I'm going to initiate this holiness. It's, no, God who is holiness incarnate has now set me aside, has set you aside, has set this place aside, this time aside for use and purpose. That's where holiness comes from. There's a phrase you may hear, it's quorum Dio, quorum Deo. And it's a Latin phrase that really encapsulates the Christian life. And it means literally to be in the presence or before the face of God. And so you might hear as you're studying theology, remember, I always want to introduce high, like, this isn't beyond you guys. You guys are smart. You're, you're incredibly smart and capable of these deeper concepts. So I want you to consider this concept of quorum Deo in your own lives. And what it means is a life before the face of God and it summarizes the idea that Christians are to live in the presence of God, under the authority of God, and to the honor and glory of God. And it was a phrase, the, the, the church, not the earliest church, which wasn't speaking Latin, but in church history, this is a phrase that the church used to constantly remind itself of what their, live is, their lives were meant to be. Hey, what's going on? Tim, your life is meant to be quorum Deo. Amen, brother, so is yours. And it was that reminder within the church of your life is meant to be lived as a Christian in the presence of God, under His authority, for His glory. This is holiness set aside for His use and purpose. In the Lord's Prayer, when Jesus says, when the disciples say, Lord, teach us how to pray. Right? I find it fascinating. Of everything that they saw Jesus do, the primary question they asked Jesus was, teach us how to pray. And Jesus replied with, our Father who is in heaven hallowed be your name. And this is a phrase that has really, we've, we've kind of gotten it wrong. I've, I've most frequently heard this taught as, see, Jesus begins prayer with a praise of God. Jesus begins prayer with, God, you are in heaven, your name is holy. It's a statement. It's a, it's a declaration, right? But it's not. When you look at that word that Jesus used, Jesus used a word, hallowed be your name. And it's a word that literally means consecrate your name. So Jesus isn't making a declarative statement about God. He's not saying, God, you are in heaven. Your name is holy. He's saying, God, you are in heaven. Make your name holy in the land. Consecrate your name among these people. There are people in this world who don't know you. God, you are in heaven. Hallowed be your name. God, you are in heaven. Consecrate your name. Make it holy among all the people. This is how Jesus opened the Lord's Prayer. With this idea of, God, you are holy. Make the people aware of this. Consecrate your name. Set it aside in this world. Holiness has to begin with God in our lives. And so if we're not at a place of properly appreciating and understanding, and I'm not saying fully, right? My finite mind cannot wrap itself around the infiniteness of God. 
But if I'm not operating from a place of a deep appreciation and recognition that God is the standard and essence of holiness, and I'm trying to pursue it on my own, I'm not going to get there because it has to start with Yahweh. And why is this so encouraging? Because there's a, there's a part of me that wants to selfishly and kind of cowardly be intimidated by this, right? Okay, well, if God is this perfect holiness, then that's too big of a thing. But this is such a joy and encouragement that God is perfect holiness. Because what's it mean when it says that God is holy, 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 that he is perfect holiness? Why is this such, why is this so essential? Right, Sam, I've heard this. I've heard that God is holy. Why are we taking time for this? Because really, I, I don't think the church always lives like we believe God is holy. I, I don't know if we always live out this belief that God is holy, that God is perfectly holy. Because if I believe that God is perfectly holy, then what I am saying by that is everything he does is perfectly holy and set apart from the common. His justice is perfectly holy. So how dare I say, God, that's unfair? Because it's impossible that God is unfair. Because he is perfectly holy. So his justice is perfectly holy. God cannot be mean. God cannot be neglectful. God cannot be negligent. God cannot be absent. God cannot be careless. God cannot be reckless. Because he is perfectly holy. So his mercy is perfectly holy. And so when we bring our own common understanding of mercy and kindness and gentleness to God, and we say, God, you don't match up to my definition of mercy... Well, spoiler alert, the problem is with our definition of mercy. Because God is perfectly holy. And so my definition of mercy, my definition of justice, my definition of kindness, my definition of grace, of generosity, is shaped by the common. God is perfectly holy. We serve a perfectly holy God. So when the enemy tries to whisper to us, God has forgotten about you. God has neglected you. God has abandoned you because it doesn't feel like it in this moment. I can respond, no, he is perfectly holy. And he has not changed who he is. Consider these verses, Numbers 23, 19. God is not a man that he should lie or a son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said and will he not do it? Has he spoken and will he not fulfill it? Hebrews 13.8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. James 1.17, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. So in the darkest days, when it feels like the world is at its most oppressive, when it feels like things look the bleakest, when the enemy tries to say the odds in front of you are insurmountable, the obstacles in your way, you can't overcome them. Be afraid, be panicked, be worried, be anxious, be scared, be intimidated. We can respond, no, because I serve a perfectly holy God. I can respond, no, 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 I'm not going to be anxious about that because I serve a perfectly holy God and he told me not to be anxious because he is capable of providing everything I need. No, I'm not going to be intimidated. No, I'm not going to be afraid. No, I'm not going to be discouraged because I serve a perfectly holy God. And it is impossible for him to be anything other than perfectly holy. This is such a mind-blowing 
joy and encouragement for the church. And if you're here, if you're listening online and you're like, that's weird. I can't imagine a life without worry and panic and fear and despair and discouragement. Please talk to us so we can tell you more about this perfectly holy God who has dealt with these things. But this is who God is. This is what holiness, I mean, this is, this is beautiful. So then the question is, okay, so this is, this is who God is. God is holy. God is perfect holiness. He is sacredness. He is the very essence of set apart from the common and the profane, from sin. He says to us, because of who I am, because I am holy, consecrate yourselves and be holy like me. So are you holy? Are you holy? Are we, are we holy? This is kind of a trick question. You know, on some days you're probably like, yeah, I did pretty well today. Oh, good day. And then on other days you're like, ooh, I am not holy. I was just cut off by somebody on my way to church and I was not holy in my reaction, right? So it's kind of like you're like, okay, ooh, am I holy? I don't know. Let's think about this. And it's a yes or no, or at least we think so, right? It's a yes or no. But it's actually biblically a yes and no. Positionally, yes, I am holy. Positionally before the throne of God, I am holy. I am set apart perfectly for him. This is called justification. Oh, Sam, that sounds, that sounds a bit harsh. Well, listen to these verses. Hebrews 10, 14. For by a single offering, Jesus has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Perfected for all time. This is what Jesus does. What does the Bible say? He made him to be no sin, who knew no sin, so that we might become the righteousness of Christ. So if I'm a new creation in Christ, I have been imputed with the righteousness of Christ. Am I going to say that the righteousness of Christ is not holy before the throne of God? What did we look at when we looked at the Ark of the Covenant? And then we looked at Hebrews where it talks about the veil has been torn and we can now freely approach the mercy seat, the throne of atonement. Why? Not because God's standards for holiness have changed, but because God is perfectly, or Jesus has perfectly purified us through his blood. So positionally, yes, we are holy. Practically, we've got some growing to do. I do. I have growing to do practically in holiness. You do too. Hopefully I didn't burst your bubble. This is called sanctification. So you have justification and sanctification. Justification, I am positionally holy before the throne of God. Practically, I, I need to do some growing. This is sanctification. That's the second half of that verse in Hebrews. Hebrews 10, 14. For by a single offering, Jesus has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Sanctified, sanctification, same idea as consecration, set apart for the holy. Okay, so wait a minute. I have been perfected for all time, but I'm, I'm being made holier? Yeah. Remember that now-not-yet tension that we've looked at in Scripture that Jesus talked about? What did Jesus say to the crowds about the kingdom of heaven? The kingdom of heaven is coming and is now here in the hearts of all the believers. There's that now-and-not-yet tension, right? It's the same thing that we see here in Hebrews 10 talking about this idea of holiness. He's perfected us for all time, those who are being sanctified. 1 Peter 2, 4, uh, 4 and 5 in verse 9, 2nd, or 1 Peter 2, 
As you come to him, Jesus, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. You're being, this is an active, ongoing, you are being built up to be holy. Okay, yeah, that's that practical, right? I see this present tense thing, that works. To offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Then you go on to verse 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. You are holy, and you're being built up to be holy. Positional and practical. Justified and sanctified. The Christian life is not over. It's not, hey, I've been perfected, so, you know, kick back that lazy boy. I'm watching TV for the next 70 years. Time to coast. No, it's I've been positionally perfected. And now in response to the holiness of God, I will pursue a life of sanctification that begins with God. Remember, it begins with God. We see this throughout Scripture, this incredible thing. See, we are neither the initiator nor are we passive. It does not begin with us. I do not initiate this in my own life. We looked at holiness comes from God because God is holiness. So it has to begin with Him. But we're also not passive. And this is where I say the church has struggled with holiness in believing that God is fully holy, or at least acting like we believe God is fully holy. Because if I believe the God who saved me, Yahweh who redeemed me, Jesus who died for me, calls me to be holy, and I don't respond with my utmost to be holy, then that reveals a rather shallow understanding of God's holiness. Consider these verses, 2 Timothy 1.9, God who saved us and called us to a holy calling, begins with God. God who saved us, but... What did he call us to? A holy calling. Not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace. Purpose and grace, consecrated, to be set aside for a holy purpose. God called us to a holy calling for his purpose. You have consecration in one verse here in 2 Timothy 1, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. Ephesians 1.4, Even as God chose us in him before the foundation of the world, Begins with God. But what's our response? That we should be holy and blameless before Him. Romans 12.1, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. By the mercies of God. You can't do this aside from the mercies of God. It begins with God. But what's he say? He says, I appeal to you, by the mercies of God, present yourselves as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. 2 Corinthians 7.1, Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. What's it say? In the fear of God, it begins with a proper understanding and response to the holiness of God. So the hard question that we have to ask ourselves as we consider this, going all the way back to Joshua, consecrate yourselves because tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. And it begins with the fear of God. So if, if holiness is not a burden in my life, I mean, be honest. This is gut check time. If you do not have a personal burden, if you are a believer, you say, I'm not talking to the non-believers right now, I'm talking to believers. Believer says, I am a believer of Christ. I follow, I'm a disciple of Jesus. I am a child of Yahweh. 
and you don't have a personal burden for your holiness, we got to go backwards and say, okay, do I have a proper understanding and fear of God? Do I have a proper understanding of the reverence and the holiness of God? Because in my mind, looking at these scriptures, looking at the, the insurmountable evidence of what God calls us to, I don't see how I can't be burdened with, I'm going to do everything I can to set my life apart for God. I mean, everything. My job, my house, my, my friends, my relationship, everything. If this is who God is and this is who He calls me to be and this is what He's done for me, how can I not live a life pursuing this holiness? Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit. Body and spirit. This goes back to God is perfect, whole, holiness. And it is what he calls it. God does not say, Sam, if you could be holy for me at church and on the softball field and in your home, your relationships with your friends, they don't have to be holy. Right? Or physically, physically be holy for me. Set your body, set your physical life aside, right? Your thoughts, they don't need to be holy. Your emotions, they don't need to be holy. No, it says your body and spirit bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. Hebrews 12, 14. Just in case, just in case there's still that, that whisper from the enemy that says, look, but this isn't, he's, he's overemphasizing. He's blowing it out of proportion, right? It's not really, you can kind of do this casually, Right? Like, this will happen accidentally. You don't need to be deliberate about this. Just go about your regular day, and this will happen as a byproduct of average life. Hebrews 12, 14. Strive for peace with everyone. So strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Strive for why do you think the culture that we're seeking to build has been framed and presented with these words, relentless pursuit? Because our lives should be a relentless pursuit of holiness, a relentless striving for holiness. Not a, you know what, I did my best for the first 20 years, then I took kind of like the middle 20 off, and now I'll just kind of do it half-hearted. No, I'm going to strive till the day I die for holiness. Why? Because this is the standard that God has set forth. This is not optional in the life of the believer. This is not accidental in the life of the believer. This is the standard that God lays out. Because I am holy, this is who you are to be, and you are to strive for it. Consider farming. Right? Bobby, you just brought a great tin of tomatoes. Did you provide the sunlight or the rain, or the soil? Like, did you create soil? No. Bobby didn't create soil. Bobby didn't create photosynthesis. I, said, I think I said that correctly. I'm not a science guy. I got a thumbs up. Bobby didn't create water, okay? Those tomatoes that grew in her garden were only made possible because of what God has done and what God does. But Bobby, did you at least sow some tomato seeds? No, they just grew naturally? Oh, plant. Okay, it wasn't a seed. We started with a plant. All right. So Bobby at least did something, right? It's not like you just walked out there this morning and you were like, oh my goodness, there's a full tomato plant that I did nothing with. Right? 
Any, I mean, any farmer will tell you, it's not just this arbitrary magic, like, hey, I had a field of grass on Monday, and then I woke up Tuesday, and there was a massive cornfield. No. It's initiated by God. It begins by God. It begins with God. It's only through God's power that this is possible. But Christians, we have allowed the enemy to deceive us into thinking that that means we take a passive role. And we say, okay, God, do your growing. Grow in me this. Grow in me a spirit of this. Grow in me a spirit of peace. Grow in me a spirit of joy. Grow in me a spirit of generosity. Grow in me all these things. I'm going to take a nap until you do. I mean, I... Like, it's mind-blowing sometimes, the excuses that I'll make up in my own life, right? There are periods in my life where I was like, man, that's not fair. Like, Sarah, Sarah and Mike, they know the Bible better than I do. Mike, how often do you read the Bible? Oh, every day. Sam, how often do you read the Bible? Oh, like once a month. Why don't I know the Bible as well as Sarah and Mike does? Well, probably because you're not doing a whole lot with it. Right? Oh, I wish, I wish, I love hearing these stories. I love hearing, the, who has fun hearing stories of testimony, right? Like when people share crazy stories of conversations at Starbucks or Barnes & Noble or on the courthouse steps, right? The, the most popular video that we've, we do those midweek Bible studies, the most engaged video of the last two months was where my dad just shared all the crazy stories of what God has done. And that was the, mo, that was the video that everyone wanted to listen to. Oh, this is so exciting. I wish I had as many stories as Ron does. You know why Ron has more stories than I do? You know why my dad has more stories than I do? Because my dad has sought out way more conversations than I have to talk to people about Jesus. So if you're sitting there and you're like, oh, that's not fair. He gets all the stories. Okay, well, ask yourself, when was the last time you struck up a conversation with somebody about Jesus? Are we a passive farmer wondering why the field's not doing anything? Are we sitting there saying, God, come on, why, why aren't the crops growing? And the response is as simple as, because you didn't sow any. Or maybe you did, right? You accepted Jesus when you were eight, back in your church's kid's wing. And then you just stopped. Right, I've done it. Salvation, done, cool, finish line. God, why, why isn't my crop as high as other people? Right? Like, he, he talks about, like, this peace, right? I don't feel that. Why? Well, did you neglect? Have you, have you gone passive? I mean, holiness, strive for it. It begins with God. It begins with a proper understanding of God. But we're not called to be apathetic. God says, consecrate yourselves. Church, are, are we consecrating ourselves? I mean, there's a reason. Why do you think we do a time of prayer before the service? Every Sunday, for almost a year now, we gather before the service, and you're all invited. We gather before the service to say, Lord, set this time apart for you. Consecrate us. We're all bringing our own baggage. We had hard weeks. We had long weeks. We had good weeks. We're all bring, like, but consecrate us in this time. Why? Because we believe that this is the calling that God has placed on us. And it goes back to the theme of Joshua, that my life is meant to be in response to the person and promises of Yahweh. And so if I testify that I believe Yahweh is holy, that He is perfect holiness, I believe His word to be true, 
Okay, Sam, then what are you doing to pursue holiness in your own life? Uh, well, you know, I, I just kind of hope that it'll happen. Church, are we consecrating ourselves? This is what God calls the people of Israel to. This is what God calls us to. And that's a joy, right? What's it say? In several of those scriptures it talked about, let me go back to 2 Timothy 1.9. God who saved us and called us to a holy calling because of his own purpose and grace. Everybody's looking for purpose in this life. I just had a conversation with someone about a, a friend of theirs whose life was built around their career and their perfect, like being, like kind of having that like, you know, sitcom marriage family, right? Where it's like perfect. Like my purpose in life is to have a perfect career and a perfect family. And this person's life, both of those things are about to be taken away. And this individual is wrecked and has no idea what to do with life because they're looking for purpose and they placed it in the wrong things. God has given us our purpose. He has said, be holy for my service, for my glorification, for my purpose. I wake up every day and I know what my purpose is that day. If you're listening online, if you're here this morning and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, can you truthfully say that without a shadow of a doubt, you know your purpose in life? that nothing could happen to you to make you question your purpose in life. Maybe you're a believer and you couldn't say that. It doesn't matter what would happen to me, I know my purpose in life. Followers of Jesus who understand the call to be holy, we can say that with confidence, that I understand my purpose. My purpose today is to be set apart from the common for the glory of the Lord. That's not dependent on my job situation. That's not dependent on my family situation. That's not dependent on my relationships. That's not dependent on my emotions. You want to talk about an idol in the world today? Our emotions? My call to be holy is not conditional upon if I feel like it that day. So I know what my purpose is every day. It's to be set aside for the glory of God. This is what he has called us to. This is what he has called you to. And so the challenge this week is to put that into practice. Read Psalm 103, Isaiah 40, and 1 Peter 1. Read these three chapters. And then just like God said to the people of Israel before they crossed the Jordan, consecrate yourselves. I'm issuing the same challenge to you. Consecrate yourself this week. I'm not asking you to start with the whole week, right? Like, that'll be cool. We'll get there in a couple months. Don't worry about it. But let's start with, with one time. Pick a night. Pick an evening. Pick a lunch break at work. Pick a morning, right? Like, pick a time in your routine that is normally common. Oh, I commonly spend my lunch break running errands and wolfing down a sandwich in the car. I commonly spend my evening zoning out in front of ESPN. I calmly spend my morning sleeping in and then eating a leisurely breakfast because I work the second shift. Right? Like, whatever is common in your life, whatever is mundane, whatever is average, whatever is routine, pick an element of that and say, no, this week I consecrate it to the Lord. My average lunch break is going over to Target 
throwing 10 things in the cart and then being like amazed that it turned out to $300, right? Like that's my average lunch break. This week, my lunch break at work is scripture and prayer and worship. Lord, I consecrate my lunch break for you this week. My average Monday night is just TV till I pass out, but not this week, Lord. This week, my Monday night is consecrated for you and set aside for your glory, for your purpose. Consecrate yourselves this week and bring a friend with you. Bring a family member with you, right? You work with a coworker, invite them in. Invite them to join. Your family sets aside money. You know, normally Tuesday night, I'm watching this. He's doing that. The kids are doing that. No, Tuesday night, our family is doing nothing but scripture and prayer and worship. Because as a family, we are consecrating ourselves. That's your challenge this week. And then the prayer in those times is in response to those three chapters. For some of you, I'm guessing Psalm 103 might hit home and resonate. Maybe Isaiah 40 hits home and resonates. Maybe it's 1 Peter 1. Whichever chapter you read and you're like, wow, I, okay. Pray out of that chapter, right? But, I mean, God called the people in the Old Testament to be consecrated. God called the people in the New Testament to be consecrated. It's absolute folly to think that the church today has not equally been called to be consecrated. So please... Let this be a body that in response to the holiness of God says, okay, we consecrate ourselves for you. Join me in prayer. Father, you are holy. With every breath, we praise you for your holiness. We thank you for the standard that you have called us to. We thank you for the purpose you have given us. I see so many people in this world lost, looking for direction, looking for meaning, looking for purpose, and you've given it to us. The, the perfect, holy generosity in that is incredible. So, Lord, would you consecrate this people? Consecrate me, God, individually. Set me aside. But then remind me that I have a part in that, that I'm not to sit back idly. Consecrate the elders, consecrate the staff, our kids' wing, Lord, our worship team, our families. Set us aside for your glory. Set our homes aside for your glory. Set our calendars aside for your glory. May we be a holy people in response to your holiness. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.